You're listening to the Magnum version of the Savage Lovecast, www.savagelovecast.com. If you're stuck in a relationship quandary, or if you're looking for sexual It's Tuesday. Thursday is Thanksgiving. I hope you're doing the right thing and celebrating in place. That means staying home. That means not having people over. We can all get together and stuff ourselves silly and argue ourselves hoarse and slip into food comas when this is all over. I know, I know, there's been a lot of good news lately. It feels like we hear about a new and effective vaccine every day. But this is no time to go wobbly to quote Margaret Thatcher. Best case scenario, it's going to be months before a vaccine is widely available, even longer if the outgoing Trump administration has anything to say about it, and unfortunately they do, which means there is still plenty of time for millions of people to get infected and for tens or hundreds of thousands more to die needlessly. So please, Thursday, Thanksgiving, stay the fuck home and watch The Crown. I hated Margaret Thatcher's Margaret Thatcher, but I am really digging Gillian Anderson's Margaret Thatcher. Anyway, my message, give grandma a call on Thursday. Don't give grandma COVID-19 on Thursday. But hey, even if we can't all get together to do Thanksgiving, we can all still do gratitude. We can be thankful. I'm thankful for all the scientists who've been working around the clock to develop those vaccines. And I'm thankful for all the nurses and doctors and hospital staffers who've been risking their own lives to save other people's lives. And I'm thankful for all the people who work in grocery stores and pharmacies and pot shops and liquor stores and for all the teachers out there making it work on Zoom. And I'm thankful for the people who worked at polling places on Election Day. And I am so thankful for the 80 million people and counting who voted for Joe fucking Biden. And I'd like to thank all the people out there who aren't going to sex parties right now. In my experience, people who go to sex parties, contrary to their reputations, they're not reckless They tend to be very safety-minded. They were having a conversation about consent at sex parties long before those conversations about consent entered the mainstream and pushing condoms and physical safety. Well, not the motherfuckers who showed up at a sex party in New York City over the weekend. They're not very concerned about safety at Caligula's. Restaurants and schools are closed in New York right now and gatherings of more than 10 people are banned because infection rates are spiking because people are – Letting down their guard. And people were letting down a lot more than their guard at a straight swingers club in Queens that hosted a sex party over the weekend that was busted up by cops. And when the cops arrived to break it up, they found more than 80 people packed inside Caligula's. No one wearing a mask and no one practicing social distancing, which is not that easy to do in a room filled with 80 people and wall-to-wall mattresses. I know, people. I know. We are tired It's been a long haul since March, since this started, since the lockdowns started. And the vaccines are coming. The vaccines are coming, but they are not coming as quickly as we would like. Still, they're coming a lot faster than we had any right to expect. There is now a light at the end of the tunnel. Now is not the time to drop your guard or drop your pants at a sex club. Please stay home. Be safe. We will get through this. We are almost through this. And I'd like all of us to get through it together.
and in one piece. All right, coming up on the micro edition of the Savage Lovecast, tons of your cues, lots of my A's. And on the Magnum, L. Chase, author of Curvy Girls, comes back on the show to talk about bigger women and polyamory. And she has some advice, some choice words for a skinny woman whose boyfriend prefers bigger women. All that coming up on today's Savage Lovecast. Hey, Dan and the Tech Savvy at Risk Youth. I'm a Magnum subscriber and have a COVID success story. My paramour and I have been in sexless marriages, but we're over 500 miles apart and have only been able to text and video chat with each other for a year. We finally got together for the first time when she traveled to and got a rental in my hometown. We both got negative COVID test results prior and it was our first time physically together. We were so excited, but you never know how well it's going to be, really, the first time you get down with someone. It was fantastic. We were both GGG and both experienced things for the first time. She was so wet and responsive and I loved, loved, loved eating her. I joked that I was committed to doing my part to reduce the orgasm gap. She was super multi-orgasmic and in five days had 29. She gave me the best oral I'd had in decades as well as sensitively and lovingly helped me navigate my first anal experience. She told me to say she was just as thrilled, blissed out, and mind-blown at the amazing week that catapulted our definition of pleasure, delight, and compatibility into a new dimension. Now when we text and video chat, we no longer have to use our imagination. We can relive the real-life yummy experiences we've shared to carry us over until our next rendezvous. We're beyond surprised and grateful that we are somehow exiting this hellscape of a year with a beautiful, strong, sensuous relationship. Thank you for calling. Thank you for sharing. Congrats to everyone out there who successfully navigated their first anal experience during this hellscape of a year. If you have a success story that you would like us to open the Savage Lovecast with next week, give us a call, 206-302-2064, or record your success story on the mobile app, on your phone, and email it to us at voicemail at savagelovecast.com, and we might open next week's show with your success story. Hey, Dan, I'm a 32-year-old female from Canada, and I have a question. I'm wondering if I should not be in relationships or not agree to be in them anymore. It seems like every time I get into a relationship, at some point, I find fault in the person and I completely run away. I am in therapy. Hopefully this helps. <laughs> but I and I do desire a relationship. It's just, you know, I'll eventually be like, oh, they were bad in bed and or they're a bad kisser or, you know, they are selfish and then I don't want to be with them. Or sometimes they cheat on me. And I know that shouldn't be in a, a relationship over then. So I wonder if maybe I'm just messed up. <laughs> Anyways, any insight you could give me would be great. Before I get to the real meat of your question, I want to be clear about one thing. If someone cheats on you, I think that is grounds for a breakup. I don't think cheating should always lead to a breakup. I do think that there are cases where cheating can be forgiven, where a couple can get past an infidelity and maybe even get closer because they tend to get honest in the wake of an infidelity and a relationship can really revive in the wake of an affair. That doesn't mean I think people should have affairs to kickstart their relationships. But I also don't think that, you know, just because somebody cheated on you, you can't break up with them for that reason. I do think we need to look at the cheating and what actually happened. You know, it does seem in our culture that we define cheating as unforgivable. We then define absolutely everything 
as cheating. We now have micro-infidelities to worry about. Looking at porn is cheating. Having an opposite-sex friend if you're a straight person is cheating. Being in contact with exes is cheating. People define everything is cheating and then wonder why relationships are so fragile. Well, if you define cheating as unforgivable, everything is cheating, uh, that's going to lead to the end of a lot of relationships. I think we need to judge cheating on a case-by-case basis. If you've been with somebody for a couple of weeks and they've already cheated on you, okay, that's a, a bad sign, particularly if it, within those couple of weeks you established a monogamous commitment, which I don't think is wise or most people do. But if you did and they already can't keep it in their pants or keep somebody else out of theirs – that's a bad sign and maybe you could end the relationship. Fucked your sister on your wedding night. That's probably a cheat that you can't forgive or get past. But you're together 15, 20 years. The relationship has shifted. Sex perhaps has become less important and the emotional connection or the parenting you're doing together or you know your public role together as a couple, that has become important and your partner – gets a hand job during a massage on a business trip. Maybe that's something that you could forgive and get past. Maybe that's not as negating or scalding as fucked your sister on your wedding night. So caller, you threw out cheating is something that I don't think you could break up with somebody over. I actually do think that cheating is potentially something that you could or should dump someone over. I don't think it always is. Though, But let's look at you. Let's look at your problem. You say that you're wondering whether you should stop forming relationships, agreeing to enter into relationships because you eventually find an excuse to end every relationship you're in. Well, I think that's true of everybody until they find somebody that they can be with indefinitely. But if you find yourself discarding and dumping people for trumped up reasons, for trivial reasons, Reasons. If you find yourself inflating something like doesn't kiss quite the way I'd like them to kiss or slurps their cereal in the morning off their spoon in a way that I can't live with and is annoying, what I think is often going on in cases like that, if that's what you're doing, is that you may be the kind of person who doesn't want a long-term relationship. Even though you believe yourself to be someone who would like a long-term relationship, even though you're speaking with a therapist about it in hopes of getting to a place where you could have a long-term relationship, so much pressure is put on us by families, by religions, by the culture, by television, by film, by just these expectations that this is something everyone should want, a long-term commitment, a long-term relationship, a cohabitating relationship, a marriage, kids. This is These are all things that everybody should want and – Somewhere in the back of our head, if that's not something we want, rather than saying, okay, well, I'm not like everybody else or like almost everybody else. I don't want what everybody wants. That's okay. We say to ourselves, well, I'm broken. Something's terribly wrong. If I don't want this thing that everybody wants and I've got to pack myself off to therapy and figure it out so that I can be cured, so that I can be fixed, so I can want what everyone wants. You also have to entertain the possibility with your therapist as you think about these things that you have engineered the collapse or the end of every relationship that you've been in thus far because a relationship, a long-term committed, cohabitating, perhaps live-in relationship isn't for you, isn't what will make you happy and it isn't something that you have to do to be a good person. And you need to then get it through your head that you don't have to want what you've been told you should want or most everybody else wants or at least pretends that they want because they've also been told that this is what they should want, that you don't have to want that. And that if you understand yourself to be someone who doesn't want 
a long-term committed relationship, well, then you move out into the world and you be honest about that with the people that you date, that you're not interested in a formal commitment, that you're not interested in a long-term relationship, that you're not interested in moving in with anybody. And you can be honest with people about, you know, being the kind of person who has a lot of successful short-term relationships. And then you're free to exit the relationship at any time. And then you'll paradoxically be free to exit the relationship at any time and perhaps then less likely to exit the relationship, less likely to begin hunting for excuses to end the relationship before it becomes the never-ending, open-ending commitment that you don't want because it doesn't have to be that because you already made it clear to the person that you're seeing, hanging out with, sharing this time of your life with that that sort of decade after decade after decade commitment isn't for you and that they shouldn't be looking to you if that's what they're looking for. They shouldn't be dating you or hanging out with you or fucking you if that's ultimately what they want because it's not perhaps what you want. And I say perhaps because I do think you need to drill down on this with your therapist. But I've seen this so many times. I've seen this again and again, even just with friends who wonder what's wrong with them because every relationship that they're in ends or they end it or they find a reason, sometimes a trivial reason, to end it. And it's almost always the case that they just don't want what they believe good people should want. And, you know, we all want to think of ourselves, conceive of ourselves as good people. And if there's something that we've been told all our lives by everyone in our lives and by the media and by religion and by everything else, all the messaging we get from the culture that all good people want X – and we want to be good people, we will attempt to convince ourselves that we want X too. And then in a panic, once X is in front of us, we will engineer a reason to blow it up because it's not what we want. But if you can make that shift, if you can understand yourself to be a good person, even if you don't want what you've been told all good people should want, you might be able to relax and enjoy your relationships. The ones you do enter into, you might be able to relax and enjoy them more. And paradoxically, and this isn't the goal and I'm not being prescriptive, paradoxically, if you could relax and enjoy them more, you might find yourself not ending them as quickly as you have in the past or for the kinds of bullshit reasons that you have in the past. Hi, Dan. This is a 60-something heterosexual cisgendered male with a question about premature ejaculation. That is to say, ejaculation before I want to when I'm having PIV sex with my partner. I've always had this tendency to come fairly quickly once I get my penis in my partner's vagina. And it's kind of frustrating, although I still deeply enjoy everything. I would love to be able to last longer to extend that pleasure and of course, to provide my partner more pleasure also. If there's anything you could recommend, such as a cock ring, please tell me. I'd love to know what I could do. Dude, I don't mean to be ageist and I hope this doesn't come across as ageist. You are in your 60s. If this is how your dick has worked all your life, this is very likely how your dick is going to work for the rest of your life. Premature ejaculation. Guys who suffer from premature ejaculation. You know, there are recommendations, things you can do, you know, get yourself to that point of orgasmic inevitability and, and then back off. Learn where that 
point is, where that sensation of going over the falls kicks in and you're going to come and there's no way you can stop yourself from coming. Become really familiar with how that feels so that you don't approach it too quickly. But even guys who are very familiar with that, even guys who train themselves in that way, doesn't always solve the premature ejaculation problem. And in a lot of cases, I think PE is a problem that a guy can never solve. At a certain point, you just have to accept that this is how your dick works and stop feeling bad about it and stop investing more time and effort and energy in something that if it is a problem at all as opposed to just how your dick works, you may never be able to fix. And dude, I'm sorry if you're in your 60s and you still – Suffer from PE and this is – suffer, quote unquote, from PE and this is how your dick has worked all your life. I could give you recommendations like learn the point of orgasmic inevitability, spend a lot of time masturbating, you know, edging yourself, getting close and then pulling back and then getting close again. I could give you all that advice but I'm sure you've gotten that advice in the past. I'm sure you've tried other things. I'm not sure a cock ring would help. A cock ring, however, could help you sustain an erection after you ejaculate. You know, cock rings, if they're restrictive enough, you don't want them so tight that they cut off all circulation and your dick gets gangrene and falls off or you have to be rushed to the emergency room to have the cock ring cut off. But if you wear a cock ring, it makes it harder for the blood to flow back out of your dick. So you may wear a cock ring, ejaculate when you ejaculate and the cock ring can help you stay hard and after those, you know, moments when any more sensation is painful or unbearable to a guy – uh, when that subsides, with your dick still hard and still in your partner, you could begin to fuck her some more again for her pleasure and perhaps for your psychological pleasure, for your psychological benefit because you're still going. You're still there even if you've already ejaculated. But I think the best advice for many guys who suffer, quote unquote, from premature ejaculation is to work with and around it. Have penetrative sex briefly and then pull out. Do other things. Use toys. Get your partner off if you have a female partner again and again and again before you throw your dick in there. You can wear a strap-on. I know that's a big psychological jump for a lot of guys. It's a big hurdle to clear for a lot of guys. But you can wear a strap-on and you can fuck your partner the way you perhaps – like to fuck your partner or have never been able to fuck a partner forever, for hours, and then bring your dick in at the end and ejaculate in your partner. There are also cock sheaths as opposed to cock rings. A cock sheath is basically a hollow dildo that is a ring that goes around the base of your dick and your balls that you can insert your dick into and then insert the cock sheath, that dildo, into your partner and it's going to obviously provide less sensation for your dick. Maybe you'd last longer if your dick was inside a cock sheet that was inside your partner and then you remove that after your partner's come a few times and she's ready for you to get off or you're ready to get off, you can remove the cock sheet and then dive back in. really think that's the best advice for someone who has PE and has had it all his life is to work around it, to get creative about the ways you have sex and to delay penetrative sex until you're ready to get off and your partner has already gotten off and perhaps is going to get off one more time when you do. Hi, Dan. I'm a 35-year-old woman living in the Southwest. I met a guy early in June and after a couple of really safe, socially distant dates, we decided to keep dating and, you know, include each other in our COVID bubbles and things were great. And 
I knew I liked him pretty early on. So it was eight dates before we kissed. And then it was three months before we first had sex, which in my dating experience, both came really late. And this is partially my fault. I'm not a good first move maker. And um, I guess that's just never been an issue with previous um, guys I've dated because they've just always done it. And, and then it's been great after that. But anyway, since the first time we had sex, which was now two months ago, we've only had sex like a handful of times. And it just seems like he's uncomfortable with talking about it. I've tried to ask him about it. And then when we do it, it's, it's just, it's great, but it's very much like he never talks about it afterward. And we don't like, you know, text about it the next day or anything like that, which again, in my experience are just like normal things that happen after you have sex. Everything else with this guy is great. As far as like relationships go, we have a lot in common. We have a lot of shared interests. We laugh about the same things. We have a a great time when we hang out and we hang out a lot, at least like three times a week on average. And we talk about future plans, you know, so I feel like he's into me and, and obviously I'm into him and I've, I really want this to work because of that. I mean, I've stayed with guys before for much less. And so he's a really great guy and I think we're a really great match except for the sex thing. And so I'm super bummed about that. So I just wanted to call you and see what you think might be going on. Cause like I've talked to my friends about it and there's all these theories out there with my group of friends. Like maybe he's gay and he's just, you're just his friend or maybe he's like on the spectrum and he has a hard time with these like social situations or maybe he's asexual or maybe there's sexual trauma. I don't know. There's so much out there. And so I guess my question is, is this something that I should get to the bottom of? And then if, if so, like how, how do I even bring this up? You know, it's already hard to talk about really like sex related things I've found with him. And so how do I bring up the fact that there might be an issue here? I guess I need words. I don't know. And then that, or should I just chalk it up to like, we just have different libidos and different sexual needs. And then if that's the case, should I just, you know, move on from him? If we were monogamous about meals, if food was something you could only eat, with one person, you wouldn't think about making a commitment to a person, marrying a person, being monogamous about food with one person for the rest of your life who couldn't talk with you about dinner, who couldn't talk with you about their food preferences, who couldn't talk with you about reservations or what restaurant they wanted to go to. It would be self-evidently ridiculous to commit to being with someone if you were monogamous about food, monogamous about dinner, who had such terrible issues about food that they couldn't discuss it with you. Same applies here to sex. You're interested in presumably a monogamous relationship. He's interested in presumably a monogamous relationship. Sex is this thing that you two are only going to do with each other. Sex is a need that he alone will meet in your life and sex is a need that you alone will meet in his life, you have to be able to talk about it. And if you can't talk about it, if he can't talk about it, it sounds like you can talk about it. You're hesitant to talk about it. You're inhibited talking about it because he obviously is having a hard time talking about it. If he can't talk about it, you shouldn't be considering being with him. 
He's a nice guy. You enjoy spending time with him. You're not just looking for a nice guy that you enjoy spending time with. You're looking for a partner, an exclusive, presumably, sex partner, an exclusive sex partner. So he has to clear that bar, meet that need. He has to satisfy you roughly. You know, people don't get everything they want out of a sexual relationship. No two people are perfect for each other sexually. But he has to come close enough for you to be content, for you to be satisfied by him being your one and only dinner companion. Pardon me. By him being your one and only sex partner. So you need to force this conversation. You're worried about pressing the issue because it could end the relationship. But if there's no fix here, if there's no answer here that satisfies you, that you can wrap your head around, there's no saving this relationship anyway. It's over anyway, isn't it? If it stays this way where you have sex with him rarely and it tends not to get better over time. People tend not to have more sex three or 30 years into a relationship than they have in the first three months. If this is something that's not going to get better over time, you're not going to be able to stay in this relationship. So you're risking nothing by pushing the issue, by pressing the issue, by asking him the questions and forcing the conversation even if it's making him uncomfortable. His discomfort, I don't doubt, is genuine, but his discomfort is preventing you from having a conversation with him that you absolutely need to have before you invest any more time or energy, emotional or sexual, in this relationship. You have to advocate for yourself at this moment. There may be an answer that satisfies you. He may have a lower libido. There are ways of working around that, an open relationship, a DADT open relationship, him coming through for you, assisted masturbation, him holding you while you masturbate, helping you masturbate without any expectation that he will have to you know, produce the erection or engage sexually at that moment. But he can be intimate with you, for you at those moments if you have a higher libido and greater sexual needs than he does. There are ways of a low libido person and a high libido person making it work, but you can't make it work if you can't talk about it. Just like you can't make dinner reservations with your monogamous dinner partner if you can't talk about where the fuck they want to go to dinner. So force the conversation. It may end the relationship, but ask yourself if things stay the way they are now. If you don't force the conversation, things are not going to change. Ask yourself if things stay the way they are now. Do you want to be in this relationship at all anyway? And the answer is I think no, which means the only risk here is in not having the conversation because if you have the conversation, the relationship might survive. If you don't have the conversation, the relationship will definitely end. Hey, Dan, 40-year-old male, bisexual, from the Bible Belt. At the beginning of the year, my fiancé came out to me as bisexual. At the time, nothing had ever been said about any possibility in that realm. And uh, we'd been drinking that night, and conversation just kind of flowed. It was kind of a, well, matter-of-fact type thing. And she told me about two main experiences. The first, she glossed over, and the second one was more meaningful to her. She also told me that she and the second experience, the second woman, were still friends on social media. And kind of just left it at that, because I really wasn't in the state of mind to ask any more questions. But silver hours prevailed, and I got to the point to where I wanted to ask some questions. So I messaged her, and it didn't go over very well. Um, she basically told me that she had said everything that she wanted to say, 
and you know whatever I had to deal with, and I could just deal with it as far as that was concerned. So I reached out to some uh, friends in the LGBTQ plus community, and sometime later she came back around to me, and we ended up discussing that second woman in more detail. And through those conversations and through the openness, I actually came to understand that I was also bisexual, something I'd known about myself for years but never fully owned, which was what she claimed or what she says it was the same for her. But that, that was all fine. Uh, it was ironed out. We grew from it. We grew closer and grew as individuals. But fast forward some time later, and I find out that she is also still friends with the first woman whom she had glanced over. The um, reason being she glanced over her because that first experience, the woman basically got involved with her a bit romantically and then ended up ghosting her. And then my fiance found out that she was engaged to a man whom she's married to now. And none of it bothers me in the way that you might think listening to this. I guess I assumed that she wasn't friends with this first woman on social media or anyway because of the way that the relationship ended. Um, and to find out that they are, and not only that, but they seem to be fairly close is kind of puzzling to me, I guess. You know, Harding profile pictures. I just didn't think that that would exist, that that, that friendship would exist after the way it ended. And I'm, I'm reaching out to you for understanding, firstly. And uh, secondly, I would like to know, is this something that I should address with my fiance? Or is it something that I need to just leave alone and just uh, let be and just understand that you know, obviously it's something that I don't understand and that if it's something that my fiance wants to discuss with me, then she will. Well, first, good on your wife for coming out to you about being bisexual before the wedding. Good on you for coming out to your wife about being bisexual yourself before the wedding. And congrats to you that you have LGBTQ friends in whatever part of the Bible belt that you are condemned to live in that you could ask about this and open up to about what you're going through right now. I'm happy that you have LGBTQ friends in your life that you can talk to about this. But what you need to understand here isn't really that hard to understand. The woman you're about to marry is bisexual. She's fucked a couple of women, had a relationship with one of those women. Some people are friends with people that they've dated after the relationship ends. Sometimes friends fuck and then stop dating and stay friends or just friendly. They don't unfollow each other on social media. They occasionally heart or like each other's photos. And it's not a long-involved relationship. It's not an intense friendship. It's just an acknowledgement, that occasional hearting of photos that somebody that you used to date posts. I assume that if your wife was lunching with this woman three or four times a week or going for long hikes with this woman or hanging out with her, in any real sense, that you would have mentioned that. All that's going on here is they still follow each other on social media and occasionally like each other's photographs. And you're having a hard time understanding that. Perhaps you're from the school of – you're 40 years old. You're an adult man. I assume you've had relationships in the past and you have exes in the past. And perhaps you're from the school of not staying in contact with exes, unfollowing exes on social media, not having anything to do with them. Well, that's not the way everybody rolls. Some people are able to be on good terms with their exes, have friendly relationships with their exes, occasionally reach out to their exes and chat. That to me seems like what's going on here. Your wife-to-be is on at least friendly social media terms with this particular woman, a woman who broke her heart and again is no threat to you isn't interested in your wife that way and your wife isn't actively pursuing her. Your wife isn't out there wooing her. 
So when you ask, should I address this or leave it alone, I'm curious what you think there is to address. I think you just need to accept that your wife is on good and friendly terms with an ex and still follows her on social media and occasionally double taps on a photograph. And it's no big fucking deal. If it makes you feel insecure, you can talk about that with your wife or you should be able to talk about that with your wife. Certainly, if you can tell your wife that you're bisexual, you should be able to talk with her about something that's less consequential and often less fraught, which is just a mild feeling of jealousy. It is possible to bring up mild feelings of jealousy and ask your partner to unpack them with you without weaponizing them. And by weaponizing them, I mean attempting to control your partner's behavior or control who they're allowed to be in relationship with or be in contact with because you have a feeling, because you're feeling insecure. Don't go to her and say, I want you to unfollow this woman. Actually say, I'm not asking you to unfollow this woman. I'm just you know curious. This isn't how I've ever – rolled with an ex. I've never stayed in contact with an ex like you two are still in contact and I just need to hear from you what that's like, what that means so that I feel a little bit more at peace with it, at ease with it and I recognize that I shouldn't feel threatened by it but I do and let's put that to bed. Let's address that so I can let it go. You say that you and your wife have had multiple conversations. Uh, after that first conversation, she wasn't willing or anxious to Continue talking. You, you brought it up again and she shut that second conversation you tried to initiate down. But you've had conversations since then. Maybe it would be better if you could initiate conversations and your wife was always ready to have them. But recognizing the pattern here, which she is only comfortable talking about these things when she's comfortable talking about these things, you could let her know that you have more questions and when she – feels like having this conversation with you, when she feels like she's in a place where she could have another conversation with you about it, you would like her to raise the subject. But until then, you're just going to let it slide. And finally, as for why she glanced over the first woman when you had that initial conversation or downplayed it or didn't give you all the details, well, maybe your reaction, the reaction that you're having now is what she feared, that you would feel threatened, that you would feel insecure that you would worry and at least initially she didn't want to worry you. So she didn't tell you the full extent of that first relationship, that it was a romantic relationship, that they dated, that she got her heart broken. But eventually she came clean. Pretty quickly she came clean. These are all recent conversations. So she thought better of glancing over that or downplaying that or omitting that and she told you about it. Clearly, you need to have another conversation just to set your insecurities at ease. Let the wife-to-be know that you want to have another one of these conversations and then let her initiate it. Hi, Dan. I'm a cishet woman in my late 20s living on the East Coast, and I'm calling to ask what to do about a guy who is not respecting my desire to have no communication with him after we ended things. For context, we had an incredibly intense but very brief relationship over the summer, like two months. Uh, but I was super smitten with him, so when it turned out that he is a major gaslighter and manipulator, I was obviously really heartbroken and upset about that. He was rude, patronizing, said insensitive things, my friends didn't really like him, and he just kind of fucked with my head. Things came to a head on my birthday of all days, and I tried to end it with him then, but convinced myself that he could change his behavior or I could change my expectations. 
Obviously, neither of those things happened. And just a couple of weeks after I confronted him about his bad behavior, he said he no longer felt the same as he had in the beginning of the relationship. And while I thought, no shit, I also just said we should cut our losses because I didn't want to be with him either. That was three months ago, and he's texted me a handful of times since then. And the last time I actually responded to him, I told him I didn't want to have any kind of relationship with him, and he said he could understand that. However, he keeps reaching out. I don't respond. And on election night, he sent me several late-night texts and a minutes-long voice memo in which he said he thinks it's odd that we don't talk anymore and that he thinks about me often and wants a chance to catch up, uh, but trying to note that he's not forcing himself on me. He also still holds on to the belief that he ended things and I just got really mad at him and that's why we don't talk anymore, completely ignoring the fact that he was shitty and I called him on it and that's what made him feel bad and weird about things. I know that he prides himself on keeping up relationships with women he's been with in the past, but I am now thinking he just pushes his way back into their lives and disregards their feelings. So my question is, do I respond to this dude or just block him and move on? I know that if I respond, he is probably going to gaslight me further and it's not going to serve me well at all. So I'm hesitant to give him room to do that. I've also never had to block anyone after a relationship before. But part of me also wants to call him on his bullshit and tell him exactly what he's doing wrong here and let him know that this is super uncool and unacceptable behavior. How are we supposed to respond to these people in our lives who don't respect our boundaries or listen to us? How do we get through to gaslighters and manipulators who want to worm their way back into our lives? And do I have an obligation to call him on his shit? Tell me what to do, Dan. You confronted him on his bullshit and he ended things. And now you're wondering whether you should confront him on his bullshit again. And part of the bullshit now is that he asserts that he ended things, which is actually what you said too. You said that he ended things. And you're wondering if you're going to get some sort of a different outcome if you confront this person who doesn't listen to you on his bullshit. And you're not going to get a different outcome if you confront this person who doesn't listen to you or anyone else really on his bullshit. That doesn't mean that you shouldn't do it. If it would make you feel better to blow up at him, if it would make you feel better to confront him on his bullshit one last time, you, you can put that all in an epic text message or an email and you can send it to him and you don't have to get into a back and forth about it. He starts to argue with you about your points. You don't have to engage. You can say your piece and then you can block him. You say he's invested in being the kind of person who's still in contact with his exes and now you suspect he may be just forcing himself on his exes because he likes to conceive of himself or likes to see himself as that kind of person. And it sounds like you're invested in not being the person who got dumped. And I feel you. You tried to break up with him first and then he talked you out of it and then he broke up with you. Is there anything more frustrating than getting dumped by someone you tried to dump already. You see the dumping as mutual and when he reaches out to you, he frames it or he understands it or he asserts that he was the one who dumped you. And technically, he kind of was and that's what you did say. Kind of quoting you here. Confronted him on his bullshit and then he ended things. You weren't upset about him ending things. You were glad that it ended. But, you know, technically, he kind of – he kind of did end it. And I think that's always going to be frustrating for you. That's always going to be a stone in your shoe. Another reason, in addition to him being an asshole and a manipulator and insensitive and a jerk, to be glad that he's out of your life so you don't have to be reminded of that fact often. Zooming out for a second, you know, on the issue of whether we're obligated to call our former partners or our current partners for that matter 
on their bullshit? Well, it depends. You know, if you're sure an ex is a manipulative asshole who's unlikely to listen or doesn't listen to what you have to say and isn't going to reflect on it and make some changes and perhaps be a better partner to someone else in the future, there's really no point in confronting them on their shit except to vent. Except to make yourself feel better, except to have said your piece, to have unloaded on them. And if it would make you feel better, go ahead and do it. If you think that it might get through to him, if you think he might listen, maybe not listen right away, but that one day it might sink in, one day he might notice a pattern, you might not be the only woman who's ever made this point to him and then he'll have an epiphany and a breakthrough and do better and be a better person and be a better boyfriend or spouse to someone else in the future – Another good reason to go ahead and confront him on his bullshit. But if you're worried about getting dragged into a discussion, a back and forth with him after you confront him about his bullshit, well, that's when you use the block button. After you send that long confrontational text, then you block him. I think it's good if you send somebody a long confrontational shitty text to let them text you back and then you don't have to read it. You don't have to be baited into a conversation You don't have to get into a back and forth. You can see that they've texted you back, then delete it without reading it, and then block him. Hi, Dan. I'm a 28-year-old heteroflexible cis lady living on the West Coast. I am overweight, obese right now, have been in a loving relationship with a partner for the past two years who I love, who is poly in their orientation, whereas I've only been monogamous and he's sort of given up the poly life's, you know, poly orientation for me, thinking that it wasn't a necessary thing for him, just something that he enjoyed, but didn't necessarily need to have. And, um, we've been having more and more conversations about it. And I think I want to at least try poly and see if it's something that I could do and be happy with because he's tried monogamy now for the past two years. And I feel like I owe it to him to at least see if it's something that I could be comfortable and happy with. I guess you would call that poly by duress, but it honestly is more coming from me wanting to um, fulfill all of his sexuality and all of his desires. And Um, I think I owe it to our relationship to see if that's something I could do. I think the issue comes in with my body image. So um, I struggled with eating disorders my entire life and and finally getting to a place where I'm having a better relationship with my body and the fat positivity movement has been really helpful with that. As a result of trying not to limit and restrict how much I eat, trying not to punish myself with exercise, and with self-hate and and purging behaviors, I have gained a significant amount of weight. My partner has been awesome throughout this and has never made me feel bad about it, always makes me feel beautiful. But it's a challenge. I definitely have noticed how men treat me differently in bars and et cetera, like even in the workplace, because I'm less conventionally attractive now that I've gained probably about a hundred pounds. I'm coming to a place of self-acceptance with my body and trying to love it as it is without trying to engage in destructive behaviors. I mean, ideally I wouldn't be this weight, but not being this weight involves a lot of really unhealthy behaviors for me. 
But I think part of my issues now with Polly are less about Polly and more about putting myself out there in this new weight and the fear of rejection and the fear of dating with this new body because I really haven't had to at this weight. I don't know if you have any advice for how to kind of handle that and how to how to date while fat, I guess. <laughs> Joining me by phone to tackle this question, L. Chase, certified sexuality educator, body acceptance and pleasure advocate and author of Curvy Girl Sex. Hey, L. how are you? Hey, I'm fine. How are you? Uh, I'm good. So when yeah. the caller mm-hmm. asked me for advice about dating while fat, my first impulse was to get you on the phone. <laughs> Why, thank you. Well, what I was thinking was, first of all, good for her for doing the work and recognizing that um, she has she has this issue. The, the advice that I would give for her is pretty much the advice I give for anyone, because we all have something that we are not happy with with our bodies, or there is something that is, is keeping us back from dating. So there will always be people who aren't attract to, attracted to you, as well, there will always be people who are attracted to you. So I think what's good is to build a new relationship with your body, get used to it. Our bodies change all throughout our lives anyway. So it's a good practice to have. Masturbate, find out what you like sexually about your body, touch the topography of your body and find new ways that that you can pleasure yourself, new ways that find, that feel good. Um, Getting grounded in that. Um, And then maybe ask the boyfriend what he finds sexy about you in general and physically. What part of your body is his favorite? And it sounds like he's really into her at this size, was really into her 100 pounds ago. So she is getting positive and accepting reinforcement from her boyfriend. So she's not asking him to give her anything that he's not already giving her. She should just ask for more of it or listen to it, really take it in. Yes, and really take it in. I I mean – Dating while fat can be hard because our culture is shit. <laughs> mm. And it's important just to remember that if you if you go to a museum and you know you see 10 people looking at the same painting, you'll get 10 different opinions and perspectives and descriptions and none of them are wrong. And it's not representative of the painting, but representative of the viewer. So it's good to use that as a tool when you're dating. You know, you're not defined by the way that they see you. It defines and reveals their biases and art finds its audience. And it's the same with dating. Um, you're looking for people that are your people, the people that see um, either see you and are physically attracted to you or that see all of you and are attracted to the whole package or there are some people who just don't care what, you know, the body suit is made out of the meat suit uh-huh. is, uh, is shaped like. So, um, and also, you know, in my personal experience, I have found that, um, the polyam community tends to have a more diverse idea of what beauty is. Yes. Uh, that, uh, that was on my notes. I was going to bring that up that every time I've been at organized uh, polyamory sort of community events or meetups, there are people of all sizes, uh, many all sizes. with, you know, successfully polyamorous, multiple partners, sometimes juggling more partners than any one person could reasonably cram into their Google calendar and completely mm-hmm. successful sexually at all sizes. So yes. she's, she identifies herself as new to Polly. Um, she describes herself as, you know, I talk about Polly underdress, puds. 
Uh, and those are usually people who've agreed to open the relationship so that the relationship doesn't end. I wouldn't describe you, caller, as a pod, as poly under duress. It sounds like your boyfriend gave monogamy a try and you're actually genuinely interested and motivated to give polyamory a try. It doesn't mean you have to be poly for the rest of your life. And if it doesn't work, you can stop. But this sounds like it's coming from a place of love, acceptance, and joy and not duress. But if you got out there, if she was already out there in the polyamorous community or po- organized polyamorous communities, mm-hmm. which right now under COVID, you know, there's not a lot of you know, munches or face-to-face meetups yeah. or big events, but you'll find people of all sizes and you'll see yourself reflected, not just, re- you know, in representations of all different bodies, but you'll see yourself in other people who are successfully polyamorous at their size, at your size. Mm-hmm. Well put. Exactly. Took the words right out of my mouth. I'm sorry about that. <laughs> I did tend to go off. But yeah, I, I totally agree with you. And I think that that would be a really sort of empowering group for her to start dating into. I would just say that, you know, investigate what apps are out there that focus on the uh, poly community. Hashtag open is one of them that I know of. But uh, I'm sure if you do a cursory Google search, you come up with something that is good. And you could just test the waters now. Now that we're in COVID, you know, flirt online mm-hmm. um, and, and see how you feel. Uh, also, you know, what I do is I put that I'm a BBW in my dating profile. So the people that I get are already okay with that. And to find that, in case the caller doesn't know what BBW stands for. Oh, big, beautiful woman. So I'll say, you know, I, it'll, it'll give you, uh, you know, are you curvy? Are you this? Are you that? So I'll usually put curvy. And then I say, you know, so listen, I am a redheaded BBW um, with green eyes and uh, your description. Because you're going to filter out anybody who that matters to in a, in a bad way. You're going to filter them out and you'll just get people who are interested and who are open. Let's talk about, you know, the inevitable. You put yourself out there on any dating app. There are assholes in the world and there are trolls in the world. And there are people who go out of their way, usually because they're frustrated themselves, which is no excuse, but it it comes from a place of anger and resentment where Mm -hmm. they will tear apart the people that they interact with on dating apps or say something that they know is rude or hurtful. Uh, particularly if they feel that they've been rejected. Mm -hmm. Uh, And you will reject most of the people who approach you on dating, Mm -hmm. particularly if you're a woman. Women get something like 100 to 200 times the numbers of responses or messages that men on dating apps get. So you're going to have to turn down a lot of guys, caller. Right. Even, you know, at your size, you're going to have to turn down a lot of guys. Some of them are going to lash out after you turn them down and some will attack you for your size, Mm -hmm. thinking that's where you're going to be sensitive and they may be right. How do you let that roll off your back? How do you exist mm-hmm. in these spaces without the shitty assholes really getting under your skin, getting into your head, ruining these things for you, for anybody? Again, I think just being a woman online, you get that as well. But since uh, she's sensitive about her weight, it's going to really sort of ruffle her feathers more and and make her more upset. Unfortunately, it's a muscle that you have to exercise. You know, it's going to be getting a thicker skin about it because it's going to be out there regardless. I think what I've seen in the past is more people going after me, anecdotally, me for my views, for being a feminist, 
for many other things rather than being um, a bigger woman. So it's just one of those things in 2020 that we just have to get used to. But if it's, you know, if it's about her weight, I think really, really grounding herself in her body and finding her sexiness in her body. I have to say, I have been 250 pounds and I've been 115 pounds and everywhere in between. And I have never dated more than when I was 250 pounds. And like really nice guys, like really nice guys that I was looking for, that I'd be looking for regardless of what what I weighed. Do you have any tips for the bigger woman online telling the guys who fetishize her for her size, apart from the guys who are attracted to her because of her size, but aren't fetishizing her or objectifying her in a dehumanizing way. People often struggle with that. You know, people who have, who have different types of bodies, unconventionally attractive bodies struggle with, you know, assuming sometimes the person who's approaching them must only be seeing them as an object. And sometimes I think that's projection in a way you see yourself first as an object. And so anyone who's attracted to Mm -hmm. you, you think they're seeing you as an object. But there are, of course, some guys out there who fetishize bigger women and don't see them as human beings. And how do you tell? Well, there are some characteristics, just like you were talking about. There are dehumanizing um, comments. There are comments about um, the person being being an object. There is there is no connection to the person as a person. And usually you can sniff that out somewhere in the beginning. If they really start out with um, asking you a lot about your body, um, a lot about how big you are, what size you are, uh, what you like to wear, things like that, that, that would alert me that this person is more into my body than they are into getting to know me. Um, but it's, but so, it's fine for someone to be into you for your body, right? Yeah. Absolutely. There's nothing wrong with that. But if you want to be hyper aware about not being fetishized, that is one of the flags. So it's, it's, if you are looking to just have sex and just have a casual thing and just use your partner for their body and vice versa, nothing wrong with that. But if you're looking for signs, that is one of the signs. Um, if you're looking for signs, is, that's all you're going to be to this other person. If you're looking for if signs, that's all, I mean, right? Because yeah. because I, I I often struggle with this and how to handle this when I'm giving advice to people because people will yeah. object to objectification and mm-hmm. you know my feeling is we are also objects and a lot yes. of initial sexual attraction physical desire is you know mutual appreciation of each other as objects and then a little like digging and due diligence and probing to see mm-hmm. if there's also a connection and appreciation for the person mm-hmm. and, and the, mm-hmm. the human in there and you know the emotional connection but to 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 rule yes. out that initial attraction if it's you know at all you know, objectification, it seems to me that'll deprive mm-hmm. a lot of people of good connections, good relationships, because almost all initial attractions are object to object and oh, not heart to heart. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think to be clear, what I'm talking about is a conversation that is only about the fact, right. that is only about that which is fetishized. And again, it's fine if that's fine with you. Um, but in the same way, if I go on Tinder and someone is just saying, you know, are you shaved? Mm-hmm. You know, 
do you wear lingerie? Or I know this person just wants to have sex. Right. And if that's what I'm into, that's fine. Exactly. I have African-American gay male friends who talk about, you know, going on the apps and a guy will approach him and only want to talk about his dick and how yeah. big it is. And no yeah. interest in any other thing except that cliche, you know, BBC thing as opposed to BBW mm-hmm. thing, the big black cock thing. Right. And they can instantly tell. And, you know, yeah. they, they don't mind guys who appreciate them for their dicks, but they don't – they aren't just right. fucking dicks. And and so it's that, you know. It's that being able to not just objectify somebody but also take them in uh, as human beings and there being space for that. And, you know, I have also – some gay black friends who have big dicks who groove on that every once in a while, mm-hmm. who enjoy being objectified in that way once in a while, or you know when they choose to allow themselves to be objectified in that way, but aren't interested in partnering with those people who can only see them as junk. Yeah, yeah, no, I agree, and there are also people who may not fetishize the body but really enjoy. A, a bigger body on a woman and want to sort of worship that part of them. And they don't necessarily use it as an object, but they just appreciate it. So it, there is sort of a nuance there too, and that can be sort of worked into something that's not dehumanizing. Mm-hmm. But what I would do if I were her is I would make a list of things that might be red flags, the things that would scare her that somebody might say. Um, non-negotiables that she needs for someone getting together, either casually or, um, you know, if they do multiple relationships, things like that, um, to get centered on it. Can we keep you on the line for one more call? Sure. Hi, Dan. I'm a 27-year-old female heterosexual. I am calling just with the question of what do you recommend to somebody whose partner has a kink or a fetish that you can't fulfill. And even though you know you shouldn't feel this way, you feel sort of sad and disappointed uh, that you can't do that and you're struggling with some insecurities. My boyfriend and I have been together for a year, but we've known each other much longer. We've dated before. And the beginning of our recent relationship, we were open and I happened to run into him uh, with somebody out which sparked a whole conversation about his attraction to fat women. And I think it's wonderful, but I am not fat. And I think I have struggled with feeling inadequate ever since I found that out and just feeling like, yeah, I'll never quite be what he is really attracted to. And it doesn't seem to matter sort of like, how much comforting he does or telling me that like, you know, he loves my body and it's not about not loving my body that he's attracted to that body is like, and I just, I know rationally that I shouldn't be feeling sad and I have a wonderful partner who, you know, he's willing to sort of do whatever, pay the price of admission to be with me, whatever that is. And I just have a hard time sort of, putting that all away, like all of that information and not feeling inadequate. Well, I think this is, uh, this is less about fat bodies and her not being that type and more about 
not trusting what her partner is saying and feeling insecure in general. This is something that happens uh, with couples in, under men, many different circumstances where one person will say, but I find you sexy. I find you so hot. I find you this and this, but you might not feel that way about yourself. So you're not taking it in. Mm -hmm. But what your partner is feeling too is why is she not believing me? Why I'm not lying. What if his ideal body type, the body type he's typically attracted to or most often attracted to, is a larger person, but you're the exception? Isn't this something mm -hmm. that we praise when people can see past their, you know, notions about attractiveness or, you know, can get past conventional mm -hmm. attractiveness or whatever their convention about attractiveness is and see the full person and be attracted yeah. to them sometimes despite their not being their sort of ideal off the shelf, hardwired body type. We say that's praiseworthy. We challenge mm -hmm. people, mm -hmm. you know, not to see people just as objects, to see them as more than just what's mm -hmm. on the surface, more than just their bodies. And then sometimes when people do mm -hmm. that and their partners know that they've done that, their partners Mm -hmm. still feel bad? Yeah. Well, sure. I mean, when you see sort of a history, too, of what your partner's, um, past partners look like, you know, and you're not that, of course, it's going to bring some stuff up for you. But in a way, I find that this to be, you know, what I'll tell people, too, is you look at the people that you've gone out with. Have your partners all looked the same? And what is it that attracted you to them? And I guarantee you um, that it's going to be more than the physical. What he sees in her, um, he's attracted to her physically, um, probably because of who she is, too. Mm -hmm. um, but also, you can be attracted to more than one body type. Yes. And you can be the type of person who is open to all body types, but might find one kind of more aesthetically pleasing. Um, and have that not be an important attribute for someone that you want to partner with. Um, it's not all about the body. And at some point you have to, you have to take yes for an answer. Absolutely. You, you know, maybe that if she wants to speak with a therapist, maybe that's what you should speak with a therapist about is the inability. Because yes. everything she says that her partner has told her to me seems perfectly reasonable and should set mm -hmm. her at ease about Mm -hmm. The fact that he desires her, about the legitimacy of their relationship, about her attractiveness uh, and how attractive he mm -hmm. finds her. And yet she's rejecting it. And that's what I would drill down with the therapist about why with her. Not 100%. About how, you, you know, what to do when you're not your body's, your partner's ideal body type and you know it, but why she can't yeah. take the yes for an answer, why she's rejecting her partner's acceptance. Or embrace. Mm -hmm. And that is right. Yeah, uh, that is, that's really the crux and getting down to what the root of the problem is, because if it wasn't this, it would be something else. There is something, there is something she needs to look at um, in her relationships or her pattern, maybe that, um, that she can work on with a therapist. And I, I think that's a great idea. Sometimes I think all people need to do is add the word to, to the end of the sentence. Yes. You know, my partner is attracted to fat women too. Mm -hmm. You know, sometimes mm -hmm. the gay guys, my partner is attracted to, you know, when he watches porn, I've got a friend who brought this up with me recently, mm -hmm. personally, uh, mm -hmm. you know, when partner watches porn, it's all this like daddy bear porn and I'm not that. And 
Mm-hmm. What he needed to do was add the word too. My partner is attracted to da- daddy yeah. and bear types too. Mm-hmm. And it's also to a, me. Such a great idea. Yep. I, I think that's a wonderful frame of it all. Um, I may steal that from you. Hey, I wanted to, I wanted, <laughs> credit you. I wanted to ask mm-hmm. you about a, a project of yours that I think people who are mm-hmm. trapped at home as we enter into the third wave of the pandemic and we're facing lockdowns again, might want to hear about. You have a line of coloring books. I do. I have uh, a couple of them, and uh, they're called the Totally NSFW Totally Naughty Coloring Book and Totally Curvy Coloring Book. And it's really, really filthy, sexy stuff to color. It's intersectional and very uh, amorous and romantic, something you can do with your partner when you are uh, not allowed to go out. Like on Halloween, you're going to go to a Halloween party. Or a Christmas party, stay home and color and get in the mood with your partner and maybe try out some of the positions. Um, and the curvy one is great, too, for people who are curvy. We've been doing a lot of tactile things at our house to pass the time during the pandemic. A lot of puzzles and board games. Yeah. And I think coloring yeah. books would plug right into that really well. If you're yes. at home and you're, you've done every puzzle, you've played every board game, you've watched everything on Netflix, uh, even if you haven't and you just need something new to do, something that might spark uh, something, something that feels affirming of, of you and your body type yep. and can help you connect mm-hmm. your partner coloring together. Mm-hmm. Sounds awesome. Yeah, thank you. Yes, it's great. I, I've heard wonderful things about that during the, the quarantine. So, you know, if you're looking to spice things up when you've been together with your partner uh, in lockdown, <laughs> this <laughs> might be that new way. <laughs> uh, where can people find your NSFW Totally Naughty Coloring Books? Uh, shevibe.com or they can go to my website, um, lchase.com. And that's E-L-L-E-C-H-A-S-E.com. Lchase, certified sexuality educator, body acceptance and pleasure advocate and author of Curvy Girl Sex. Thank you so much for jumping on the phone today. It was really great talking with you again. Thank you, Dan. Hi, Dan. I was in an abusive marriage for almost 15 years. Um, she was really you know, insecure and and really manipulative. I'm pretty sure she had borderline personality disorder. Um, She cheated on me. And and after almost 15 years of it, I I left and and we tried to stay friends and and I asked for space and and she gave it, but it was really like begrudgingly. And, And about a year ago, she got diagnosed with cancer and I reached out and it went really badly. A lot of the same abusive stuff happened. She accused me of abandoning her like her, like her father did, um, which was really just not, not okay. And she recently died and, and I'm a mess. I'm kind of all over the place. I'm, I'm sad. I'm angry. I'm hurt. I've had a lot of feelings in a lot of different places. Um, you know, I wasn't invited to the funeral. Um, I wasn't even told that I wasn't invited to the funeral. I didn't even find out she died until somebody posted um, social media about the whole thing. And I'm really having trouble grieving. Um, And it's been a couple of weeks. And and I guess what I'm trying to do is trying to figure out, you know, how do you grieve? How do you grieve over an abusive spouse? You say your ex was insecure and manipulative. You say that she cheated on you. You left her after 15 years. And you weren't interested in getting back into a relationship with her. So you were, despite some failed efforts to stay in touch, to stay in each other's lives, you benefited from her exiting your life. And you benefited from the relationship ending and you wanted this relationship to end and you ended it. 
And then she got very sick and you reached out to her and she didn't want to re-engage with you. And she expressed some anger with you. She accused you of having abandoned her like her father abandoned her. And you may not feel that that's fair and that may have hurt to hear and it may have hurt to not be invited to the funeral, but she clearly didn't want you at the funeral and abusive, manipulative, shitty, whatever else she was. And I don't doubt you. There are certainly women out there who are abusers, not just emotionally abusive, but sometimes physically abusive. And there's not a lot of sympathy often for men who've been in abusive relationships with women. I don't doubt you that this was an abusive relationship. I take you at your word and I believe your assessment here. But it was within her right to decide that for her reasons, for whatever reason, as she faced death, she didn't want you in her life anymore. And it was within her rights to not invite her ex-husband or to tell the people around her not to invite her ex-husband to her funeral. And that's hurtful, obviously. You're feeling hurt and I would encourage you to speak with a therapist or counselor about your very particular and unique kind of grief. What do we do when someone that we wanted out of our life leaves our life but then leaves this life? How do we process those ambiguous, conflicted feelings? Well, sometimes we need to process those complicated, ambiguous feelings with the help of a counselor and I think that that would be a good idea for you. My only advice in addition to finding a counselor that you can speak to is some ritual Obviously, it would have meant something to you to go to the funeral. Maybe you just wanted to know for sure she was actually dead. It would have meant something to you to go to the funeral. So you were denied that ritual that for a lot of people provides some closure when a friend or loved one or former loved one passes away. Well, there's some ritual that you can perform privately perhaps, that will give you that same feeling of closure. Maybe you can visit her grave if you know where it is, if she has a grave, and leave flowers. Or maybe you can go somewhere that you two used to go together and leave flowers in that place, in her memory, and just do something. Or have a little bonfire and burn a couple of things that aren't toxic, that aren't made of plastic, that aren't large appliances – to, to to put something into the flame and to release the energy or the essence of whatever that small thing is that you're burning or casting into the flames into the air and letting it go and then letting her go and forgiving her. Maybe it was more evidence of her abusive personality. This was the last thing she did to reach out and make you feel terrible about yourself, terrible about this relationship, perhaps because she was – a damaged person, perhaps because she was hurting herself, she hurt you. Well, now she's gone. And maybe it would be a comfort to you. It would make you feel better if you made up your mind, if you decided to forgive her. Maybe not for everything, but for this thing. Hey, Dan. Um, I was walking in my neighborhood in the afternoon and a guy kind of waved me over and asked if I could give him directions to the interstate. And I started giving him directions and then he said, oh, hang on one sec. Let me just uh, pull over so I'm not in the middle of the road. So he pulled over and I followed him and I was keeping a distance from the car, you know, mainly because of COVID. I didn't want to get too close. Um, but I leaned over and was just telling him how to get there. And he asked a couple questions that were kind of dumb, like just sort of repeating what I'd said. And I thought, oh, maybe he's high. Like he just seemed kind of out of it. And then while I'm <laughs> explaining the directions, 
lo and behold, I notice a big old cock out. His hard cock was in his hands and he was rubbing it. And uh, obviously that was very disturbing. And so I just kind of trailed off on whatever I was saying at that moment and just stood up and started walking away as fast as I could. And um, luckily he didn't follow me or anything. That was it. I noticed there was a woman nearby checking her mail. Um, so at least, you know, we weren't alone if something had happened. But yeah, the whole thing just made me think about safety protocol what are good safety practices to have you know obviously i want to have the freedom to go for an afternoon walk in my neighborhood it's a safe neighborhood in general and i know that this is not a unique story unfortunately and you know in many cases it goes way worse than this so i'm grateful that it was as mild as it was but um it just made me think you know in hindsight should I have? Should I carry pepper spray if I'm going to walk by myself? I do think it would have been good to get his license plate because then I could have reported him. And I just would love to know what you think are good ways to avoid that kind of situation. And um, if you do realize you're in a situation that doesn't feel safe, how best to handle it. Very sorry this happened to you. You didn't do anything wrong. You got away from this guy as quickly as you could once you realized what he was doing. And got yourself to a place where you felt safe. That's what's most important. If you had pepper spray, it would be within your rights. Not a jury in America or anywhere else would convict you for pepper spraying this asshole. You didn't have pepper spray on you, but I bet you had a phone with a camera and the ability to record video in your pocket. The best revenge or the best way to hold this guy accountable might have been to whip your phone out and start filming, get a picture of his license plate, Put it up on the internet or call the police and share it with them. If he is a sex offender, if he has been arrested before for doing this sort of thing, hearing from you, another report might have landed his ass in jail or put him in front of a judge who would require him finally to get the help. Cognitive behavioral therapy often helps with men who have this problem, who expose themselves to women in this way. Uh, you're reporting it. You're reporting him to the police might have made other women in your community safer in the future and prevented this guy from further escalating his behavior in a way that could make his life worse than it probably already is. Not that you're required to do this motherfucker any favors. If someone did this to me, particularly if I were a woman and a man was doing this to me in part to make me feel unsafe, in part to victimize me in this way, I would – want my phone out. I would probably put that up on the internet and ironically want the guy who exposed himself to me to be exposed himself. Before we get to your comments, let's read some of this week's tweets. George Manis tweets, thank you at fake Dan Savage for coining, I think, the word tangential on the Savage Lovecast last week. There are some occasions when tangential doesn't quite cut it. Did I say tangential? I meant tangential. Slip of the tongue, and I can't claim to have coined the term. That honor goes to Dave O'Donohue, according to Urban Dictionary, which credits Dave O'Donohue with coining the term tangential back in 2008. Alicia Cole tweets, The Savage Lovecast is the perfect lighthearted podcast. It's getting me through the pandemic. Thank you, at Fake Dan Savage. You are welcome, at Alicia KB. And finally, Lacey Loesch tweets, 
Thanks for mentioning the name of Stacey Abrams' organization, Fair Fight, on your podcast, Dan. I don't live in Georgia, but the Senate runoff elections in January are so important, and donating to Abrams' organization was one way I could help. Thank you, Lacey. And if you, listener, would like to join me and Terry and Lacey in making a donation to Fair Fight, go to fairfight.org and click on Donate. Let's win in January. All right. If you want me to read your tweet on an upcoming episode of the Savage Lovecast, be sure to use the hashtag Savage Lovecast. And now your response calls. Hi, heterosexual white male who is a dom and that kind of thing. And I got to tell you, the whole puppy play in public thing, frankly, big turn off to me. I remember a day when wearing PJs out to shop would have been considered déclassé, to say the least. So... I feel like there is a degradation here going on that I find uncomfortable. You are involving people who are not consenting in your kink when you do that kind of thing. And yeah, people can kind of write it off and pretend it's not a problem. But honestly, it kind of is. And it's disrespectful and a violation of public spaces. Hey, here's a comment for the guy in episode 734 who was interested in a in meeting a news anchor. Dan was absolutely right. Don't barge in on the poor anchors and reporters who are not only worried about creepy dudes hanging out in the parking lots in the middle of the night when they get off shift, but they also have to worry about angry people who may not have liked the story we ran. And some of those angry people might have guns. Look, don't barge in on any woman, but especially not these news anchors uh, thinking, you know, we have security guards in our parking lot and you probably would have been promptly escorted, physically escorted off the premises if you'd been found out. This is in response to the caller in episode 734 who went to his local news station to ask out a reporter. I am a former local news reporter and I've had similar things happen when I was on the job. One thing that struck me in his call was that he said he asked her out not because she's famous, but because he liked her. And that's not true. He is attracted to her, but he doesn't actually know her enough to know that he actually likes her. The person he sees on TV might be very different off camera. And I'm sure on television she seems approachable and nice, but that's her job. We have to put on a certain demeanor to do our jobs that appeals to as many people as possible. If he thinks he likes her, it's probably because he's made up stories about her in his head about what he wants her to be like. When strangers have pulled this with me, they've either called my news station and were put through to my desk phone. Some of them have even gotten my personal cell phone number, and none of that was okay. And I let them know that none of it was okay, and I was not nice about it. I made it clear that I do not date this way. And one guy even said to me, this is not how I thought this would go. Because he was fantasizing about a person who I am not. So I urge people to leave your local news crush alone. If you absolutely must ask them out before you die, don't show up at their office. Send them an email or a message on social media. All journalists are on social media now. And but I'm warning you. They will never be as wonderful as you have made them out to be in your imagination. And we're going to leave it there. Got a question you want answered or a comment you got to share about this week's show? There are two ways to get your questions and comments to us. You can call 206-302-2064, or you can use the Voice Memo app on your phone to record your question or your comment and email it to us at voicemail at 
Facebook.com. We are doing another Savage Love live stream, me and Nancy together, where we'll be answering as many of your questions as we can live from my living room. Go to SavageLoveCast.com slash events to get your tickets. And you have two more chances to see Hump's Greatest Hits, Volume 2. Go to HumpFilmFest.com for dates and times and find out how you can enjoy some of our favorite dirty little films from the first 15 epic years of Hump. And the deadline to submit a film for Hump 2021, the 16th annual Hump Film Festival, has been extended to January 8th. Go to HumpFilmFest.com slash submit for everything you need to know about making and submitting a film for Hump. And if you have never seen legendary drag entertainer Dina Martina, her Christmas show, which sells out everywhere it plays, will be streaming online this year. This is a rare chance to catch Dina's show if you don't live in one of the cities where she performs. Head to dinamartina.com to learn more about Dina and to grab your tickets for her amazing Christmas show, dinamartina.com. Follow me on Twitter at FakeDanSavage. Follow L Chase on Twitter at the L Chase. The Savage Lovecast is produced every week by Nancy Artunian and me and the Tech Savvy at Risk you and Nancy. We'll all be back at you next week for an installment of the Savage Lovecast. Thank you for downloading and thank you for masking up.